Sorry, it's so many pieces and parts here. I'm going to get my clicker, my laptop, my mic, my beautiful wife. I was going to bring her seat to her and tell my queen to sit upon her throne until I make her enemies my footstool. But she just got it anyway. And I have the wrong glasses on. I'm so sorry. That's right. I'm 50. Go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. Share a testimony with the person next to you. Oh, now I can see my words. Wonderful. Well, good morning. Um, yeah, so just like Eric shared, how many of you guys were here last week, by the way? Half of you. The other half don't remember. Okay. It's all right. It's been a hard week, hasn't it? Yeah, so, um, so today... Me, my wife, uh, we're going to talk about sabbatical. I'm going to talk about my sabbatical part. You don't have to go to the background. I can smack you. This is a new fixture to my preaching. I don't, I'm going to be a little distracted maybe. I don't know. So anyway, <clears throat> so last week, you know, I shared some highlights from my sabbatical, and I just kind of gave a brief overview of what we did and some of the good things that God has begun in me and Michelle, our family. Now, I realize last week after hearing what we said, maybe a spirit of jealousy came upon some of you. I don't know. Maybe there was an attack, you know, as you heard about my time away. Well, today I'm going to share the other side of the story. Last week was the good, today is going to be the bad and the ugly. <laughs> and I was so happy that someone finally caught on uh, photography, the demonic nature of cats. <laughs> it's finally proven they are the spawn of Satan. And I'm sorry, I don't know if you'll go to heaven if you have one in your house when Jesus comes. Wow. I, I went there yeah. and I'll stay there. I think there's a lost testament where it talks about in the garden, Satan brought forth the feline, and that together they deceived the man and the woman. I don't know. Oh. Now, I've already lost half the room, whatever. Hey, listen, here's, you know what the difference between dog Christians and cat Christians are? Dog Christians think, you love me, you feed me, you take care of me, you must be God. Cat Christians think, you love me, you feed me, you take care of me, I must be God. <laughs> so repent before the hour comes upon you. So anyway, today when you hear my story, uh, you might not feel so envious <laughs> of uh, my situation and all of my sabbatical. Today I'm going to talk about some of the darkness uh, the darkness that came over me and the darkness that God has revealed within me. Today is going to be a lament. Who knows what a lament is? Remember a few weeks, Sarah Greenia brought that up in worship. So to lament means to express deep regret, grief, and sorrow. Uh, we can lament when in our words, we can lament in our actions. Lamenting is a common theme throughout the Bible. In fact, there's an entire Old Testament book named Lamentations. And about one-third of the Psalms are lament Psalms. And the Bible talks about several reasons why people lament. Uh, we would lament when we grieve the loss of someone or something that's very dear to us. Um, grief is a very common human experience, and Jesus himself entered into that grief with us when he was on the earth. You know, when Lazarus died, uh, Mary and Martha, they grieved. Their friends lamented over their loss, and Jesus' heart was touched to such an extent that he wept with them. We can lament in prayer when our hearts are broken 
Many of the psalms are songs of lament, expressing a range of emotions. When you know, the authors were going through sorrowful times, Psalm 130 says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Jesus showed this type of lamentation when he cried out to the Father the night before his crucifixion, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. We can lament when we feel helpless in our situations. You know, Christians, uh, part of what we do is we turn our fearful laments into prayer. Psalm uh, chapter 6, verse 3 is a great example of this. It says, my soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? The Bible tells us to lament over our sin. This kind of lamentation is associated with repentance. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And repentance, all repentance is, it is agreeing with God about how bad our sin is. And, and then purposing to turn away from it. When we see sin the way God does, we lament over it. We grieve at the evil that we find in our own hearts and we cry out to God, please change us. Those who never lament over their sin have not understood the power of sin to destroy them. Nor can they fully understand and appreciate their need for a savior. And the Bible tells us that God himself laments over the sin and disobedience of his people. He laments the destruction of his perfect world and the ongoing rebellion that keeps it in bondage to the enemy. Genesis 6 says that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Now the idea in that verse is that God lamented what his prized creation had become. God's lamentations show us that he has deep feelings of sorrow when evil reigns unchecked. When wickedness in the world and in ourselves causes us to lament as God does, we are on our way to becoming wise is what the Proverbs say. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil perverted speech I hate. So today, I'm going to lament some things that happened in my sabbatical. Today, I'm choosing James 5. Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I'm aware <clears throat> that today, as you hear me share, that there could be a whole bunch of different kinds of responses. Some of you will hear what I say and you will mourn with me. Maybe compassion will rise up, love will rise up in your heart. Some of you, may get triggered by what I say because you have unhealed and broken places in your heart that you haven't brought to God yet. Some of you may have your thoughts turned to yourself and wonder why, does, why do I get to share these things and you don't? Why do I get a place of leadership when I am such a mess and you don't? And for some, maybe your opinion of me will drop. You may think to the extent that I am, should be disqualified as a pastor. 
And there's probably a bunch of other responses that I can't even imagine. I want you to know I've weighed out the possibilities of those responses, and I'm okay with the consequences, whatever they may be. And why am I sharing my weaknesses with you today? Why am I sharing my sins, my laments? Well, I am learning that one of the key components of any environment where joy is abundant and overflowing is that there must be a tender and gentle response to weakness. Now, I'm not sharing my weaknesses to get your pity. I'm not doing it for your sympathy. I'm not trying to set myself up so that you won't end up disliking me when I'm done sharing. I'm sharing my weaknesses as an act of humility so that healing can come to those who I've hurt and so that joy can begin to flow in this church. So my first lament is that I confess that I have been at many times a joyless leader. And I realize that being a joyless leader makes it really hard for you to want to follow me. I remember uh, one of my spiritual kids was trying to figure out a career path for their life and someone had mentioned to this person that they should consider ministry. And my spiritual kid said to that person, nah, why would I want to be in the ministry? Look at Tom. He's in the ministry full time and he's miserable. Now, I'm not angry at that response. But I am crushed that I have ruined the thought of being in ministry would be something worthwhile because of my joyless work. And so I want to repent for not having the joy that I should. And I ask you to please forgive me for that. Now my next lament that I confess that I want to share is that I have had a deep and profound hatred of weakness in myself and in others. Now, I realize that all cultures around the world have an aversion to weakness. But I have taken that common characteristic of most humans and I have turned it nuclear. And I confess that I have not had a tender and gentle response to weakness, not in myself and not in others. My approach has been to get it fixed right now or get out of the way. When there, has not, when there is not a tender response to weakness, joy does not survive very well. And it has been my hatred of weakness that has caused myself much harm and it's caused harm to others as well. You know, God had given me a revelation about this just, just a few weeks ago. And he showed me that by hating weakness in myself and others that I have rejected my humanity. You see, being human is being weak. And when I reject my own weakness, my own humanity... God showed me that I am rejecting his solution to that problem. God's solution to human weakness is grace. So when I, I, in some ways, have rejected grace, instead of experiencing grace and being covered by grace, I have chosen to obliterate the weakness out of myself out of others. You know, when I met with Mark Goins the first day of my retreat, I just puked out all that I'd been going through. And as I spun out in anger and in frustration over why this was happening, 
And I listed all of the things that I have done to get healing. And he agrees that I've done more healing than most. But he says, I've missed one thing. Really? By all means, lay it on me. And Mark said that I don't know how to receive love and grace from God. So I confess the sin of judging weakness and not always applying grace in every situation. And so I ask you for your forgiveness. Now let's rewind back to the beginning of the sabbatical, actually back in the month of May, just before my sabbatical. Back in May of last year, um, there was a Sunday that I had to preach. It wasn't the last Sunday of the month. Um, but that service in that, that Sunday morning, worship was very flat. It was heavy. It was lifeless. I think uh, Lizzie was on the worship team that morning, and, and she just commented about the heaviness in the room during worship. And if you were here, you may remember that when I walked up here to the pulpit to preach that morning, I confessed that some of that heaviness was on me, that I brought it with me this morning. And I shared that morning that I had had a very painful ministry experience just the day before. I ended up sharing my message that day, finished it up, and went home. That following week, a darkness came over me like nothing I had ever experienced before. As I became overwhelmed with grief, I became overwhelmed with sorrow, with anger, with despair, which ultimately sent me spiraling into a panic attack. Now, I have no real history of having panic attacks, except once when I was in my early 20s. And back then, I, panic attacks weren't popular or they weren't, the, every, you know, I just knew of it. It only lasted for a couple of months, maybe three, I don't remember. And then once it, they ended, I had never, I've never had one since, at least until May of last year. And as I spiraled into darkness, the anxiety and fear and depression overwhelmed me. It eventually led me to what probably could be considered a mental breakdown. I was now experiencing one long panic attack all day long, every day. From the moment I woke up, I would have a panic attack. I would wake up in the middle of the night around 3 or 4 a.m. having a panic attack, and I'd be up for a couple of hours. I'd get up the next day, and it would all be there again. My mind began to attack me with some of the most evil and torturous thoughts that I'd ever thought. I had thoughts enter my mind that I had never thought before. Things that I can't even speak of. And the most terrifying aspect of it was that there was no amount of prayer or worship or scripture quotes that had any effect on it. I could not stop it. Every day, it just kept getting worse and worse. And then to add to that, I'm now spinning more out of control because in just a couple of weeks, I'm flying to Hawaii. And I am imagining every awful thing that could happen on that plane. And so as I continue in this breakdown, I realize I've got to go see my doctor. I got to get some help. So I make an appointment and I tell him what's going on. And I beg him to help me because I'm getting ready to fly over the Pacific Ocean and I cannot ruin this trip for my family. 
And so as I sit there in his office in my shame and in my weakness, he agrees to prescribe me Lexapro, which is an antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. But he says it takes weeks before it gets into my system and starts to take effect. Well, I don't have weeks. I don't have four to six weeks. I am flying in three weeks. But I start taking it anyway because I cannot keep living in this hell. Now, I'm going to pause for a second because I need to confess something else. When I took that prescription and I filled it, I experienced such a deep disgust for myself. Why? Because I hate weakness. And this breakdown was the ultimate display of weakness of me. And then this revealed something else dark in my heart. And that was I, I realized that I had had a real judgment in my heart against those others who took medication for mental illness, for depression, for anxiety. And so I confess that judgment to you today. You see, I have always lived with a very strong conviction that God can heal anything, especially mental illness. But my extreme position led me into judgment instead of tenderness and compassion. God then revealed to me that and he posed it in the form of a question. He, he, he revealed it that we don't judge other people who need medication for other physical problems. So why, why should you, Tom, judge those who need medication for your brain? Do we judge the diabetic for taking insulin? God can heal diabetes. But until he does, do we judge them for taking life-saving medication? Do we judge people on thyroid medication or hormone medication? God can heal those things, but why should they suffer until they get their healing? Do we judge people on life-saving heart medication, even though we believe God can heal physical hearts? And God showed me that no other body system that needs medication to get its help with suffering or as life-saving. No other body system gets the same amount of judgment that I had against those who their brains needed medicine with its suffering. And now, I am one of those people who needed my suffering to end. And so I repent for the judgment in my heart against those who take medicine for mental illness. Now, I wish I could say that I am fully past this issue in my heart, but I'm not. Though I now have more compassion for this issue than I ever have, and I have stopped the harsh judging, I can still feel myself cringe when I take my medicine. I still feel myself cringe when I hear of someone else going on medicine for mental issues. So I just ask, please forgive me. Please forgive me for that judgment. So back to the story. I get on my meds. I come home. And the darkness continues to overwhelm me. I text Eric. I let him know what's going on. I text my friend Jerry Ingalls from First Baptist. And I ask him to pray. And he says, he's coming over just to sit with me. He comes over and he just sits with me and he prays over me. He prays for me. He brings the presence of God when I cannot. And so I experienced this small and momentary taste of relief. And then after a couple hours, he has to go. Once he leaves, I'm back into another panic attack. So I just continue praying, quoting scripture, confessing my sin. Nothing's working. 
but I keep fighting. So does my wife. Why don't you share, baby, if you can, some thoughts. Wow, this is hard. So, um, yeah, so like what Tom was saying, um, the whole thing about this, I know it's heavy, but it's about the ability to be authentic and honest and vulnerable for the, for the sake of furthering his kingdom and bringing joy and happiness and breakthrough in other people's lives. And um, to find connection with others and um, just let our walls down. And um, so I'm going to kind of give my side of the story to help bring it full circle. Um, as Tom was experiencing his breakdown, I was at a loss and a lot of friends just never have encountered this before. Didn't know what to do and how to do it. And... Um, I had a, probably the biggest fear that I had to fight off, and it still is hard to even say it out loud, is, is, he, is he forever broken? Because it just looked that way. To watch somebody you love crumble before your eyes and become riddled with fear and anxiety, and that was not who they were. That was not the person that you got to know. And... Um, it didn't matter what I said or how I said it. It would upset him, and he would think that I was shaming him when that's not what I would, the intention of my heart was. Um, and so I just learned to be quiet and just listen and not say a whole lot. Um, I didn't understand how to put myself in that place. I didn't know what it meant to be riddled with so many thoughts that you couldn't control them. I, I'm not wired like that. I'm an outwit, outward processor. I'm not an inward. I will die if I stay inward. And so I process outwardly. And the minute I can get that out, I'm fine and I can move on. Inward processors don't have the same, always the same ability. Because you're stuck in their thoughts. And, um, and so I just didn't have a grid work for what he was going through. But it was just an awful feeling because I felt very disconnected and um, helpless. And so um, I didn't know what to do. Um, I tried, you know, like if you're wondering how we dealt with the kids in all this, you know, we tried to keep it as normal as possible. I didn't want them to have weight on them and knowing that we were leaving and the excitement of going to Hawaii. And now I didn't keep it a secret. I mean, if they asked, I would just say, Dad's anxiety is off the charts. He just needs grace and love. We just, we've got to be patient with him until he gets through this. And, um, but that's when it all, but for me, then anger started setting in for me um, as I was watching this happen. Being angry at the ministry not anything in particular, just a generalization of I am just angry to be a ministry. Because emotionally, it felt like it's what broke my husband. Even though logically, I knew that that wasn't the full truth of what brought all this on for him. Um, it was just the one thing that made it all come up. And um, so I had to start dealing with that. Because our emotions and, and our logic are two different things. I don't know if you realize that. Our emotions are seated in our heart, and it's really what drives us. We can logically tell ourselves the right thing all day until we deal with the emotion that's in our heart and the belief system that we have placed in our heart that's driving us. It won't leave. And so um, I was having a hard time connecting even with God and um, because of all that on top of it and this, this, just the stress of watching Tom fall apart. Um, and 
I just felt in the dark a lot. Because, you know, he just, for him, it was an issue for him. But for me, it was an issue for both of us, for the whole family. And, um, and so I just felt in the dark a lot as he was going through it. I didn't realize that he was having, he got on medicine and that it was that bad until like a week before going to Hawaii. I didn't, I just didn't know because I just kind of left him to do his own thing and just fight silently. Um, so that's basically at that point, yeah. Part of the reason why she felt that isolation was, you know, because that's what I did. I hunkered down in my office so no one would have to see what I was going through. I didn't want my kids to know. I didn't want them to see this. So anyway, um, I'm continuing to fight and lose every day. I start taking every kind of brain-happy supplement that I can find. And I barely survived that last couple of weeks of work. We go to the Memorial Day picnic, and while I'm there, I am fighting severe anxiety and depression. Put on a happy face. And then once that was over, it was time for us to go to Hawaii. And thank God, by the time we got on the plane, I started to get enough relief that I no longer worried that I was going to scream something stupid like, there's a bomb on the plane, <laughs> or something equally stupid. So we get to Hawaii, and things start to settle. The first week we're there, I have, a, I have some really, really bad sleep. I'm waking up every night, experiencing some anxiety, intrusive thoughts, sometimes for hours. But thank God I'm still able to get up in the mornings and late mornings, early afternoon. <laughs> and still do things and have enjoyment with my family. And it really was enjoying. So after that, we sent the boys home to Indiana. And Michelle and I get to go to Maui. And by now, the meds are starting to do their thing. They're starting to work. My anxiety goes almost completely away. I'm not feeling any depression. I start sleeping better. And we had a wonderful time in Maui together. We come home from Hawaii. And when we get back, I am just about completely free of anxiety. No panic attacks, no depression. And now I'm headed off to Shepherd's Gate and I'm on my retreat with Mark Owens. And God starts to deal with my deep rooted issues. And God starts to unravel my false self so that he can show me who my true self is. And the first thing that God showed me is that I have falsely rooted my identity and what I can build instead of rooted it in intimacy with God. I find the story of Cain is a very convicting when it came to this revelation about myself you know, after Cain had killed his brother, it says that he left the presence of God and he went to the land of Nod. And then it says that when he went there, he went and built himself a city. Now, the reason Cain did this was because it was necessary for Cain to create for himself a structure that would provide for him a center of identity, meaning, value, and purpose to replace the sinner he lost when he pulled his roots out of the intimacy and presence of God. We see this actually repeating itself in the story of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Here, we, it tells us that the people of the east, which is the place where Cain went, right? Because Nod was east of Eden. So the people came from the east and they built a city for themselves. And like Cain, they were attempting to create for themselves a structure of life that would provide them with an identity. And God showed me that I have been guilty at times of trying to center 
my identity and what I do rather than who I am. And I confess that in some ways, not always, but in some ways, I have tried to build new covenant for my own identity, for my own honor, my own glory. I have wanted to build something that proved I wasn't a failure, that I haven't wasted my life, that I was valuable. And I confess that in some ways I have done the same with our worship ministry. Now listen, I have sincerely tried to build things mostly for the glory of God. But in little ways for the glory of Tom. And I repent. Please forgive me. My identity has to be rooted and grounded in love the love of God, or else it becomes a pollution of my motives. And when we lose the center of our true identity, which comes from the presence and intimacy of God, our false self begins to tear us and rip us apart. It begins to manifest in things like fear, anxiety, depression, manipulation, self-promotion, self-protection, self-destruction. Self-indulgence. And at times, I've been guilty of all those things. And I repent. Please forgive me. Yeah, things are starting to get better and we're heading to Hawaii. Um, but the first week in Hawaii for me, I was still a little disappointed because he was still needing to sleep and being up in the middle of the night. So, you know, me and the boys, we would still go do things without him, but it was just disappointing that we're on this trip that we may never do again with our kids and he's not fully there. And um, not that he didn't want to be, it's just that he couldn't be. And if we had done stuff all day long, he would have to retreat to the bedroom to recoup in the evening. And, um, and so that was just a little disappointing to me. But I understood, but it was still hard. And um, But while in Hawaii, I'm able to begin to unpack stuff, and the Lord keeps encouraging me that transformation is on the way. He begins to talk to me um, about a scripture in Isaiah 31, 31. It says, the mighty man will become tender, and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. And the Lord begins to encourage my heart that what was meant to throw water on our flame for him, he was going to dry us out to become tender once again and work for him and with him. And it would create a spark that will burn so brightly that we will become an inspiration and an encouragement to all we, we encounter. Amen. And that was the hope I began to hold on to. And I started to go after that allowed healing to start coming to my heart in that moment. Um, it was also in this stint of the sabbatical that I finally just emotionally broke down. I don't remember what sparked it, but I just unloaded on Tom. I mean, it went pretty on my end, you know. <laughs> but because, you know, for me, yes, the medicine was working, but from my perspective, you're becoming very numb and indifferent, which is not who you are. So I was like asking him, you need to find another medication that works better. Not that this isn't working, it's not the best. And so I was just, all the, the stress of everything just came tumbling out. And uh, it was a very weak moment for me. <laughs> Which again left me feeling unconnected from him. Um, um, and... I'm trying to find where I'm at in my notes. Um, and I'm still fighting that since that lie, you know, is he forever broken? You know, is the medicine always going to alter who he is instead of allowing him to fully become back to who he was, who God has designed him to be? And even wanting to go back to who he was before, I just, the trueness of who he was, I wanted it to come out again. And... Um, 
not knowing what that process was because we're just in this abyss is how it felt. I'm in this unknown area and I don't know where to step and how to make it step and how to make it happen and, and how to find that connection the way that I need to to feel safe again. Um, but when we went to Shepherd's Gate together, because he did a week by himself and then we went a week together, it was there because we had hours to, it was just the most amazing experience. Um, everybody needs a week there. But I spent a lot of time by myself, and Tom did too. But in that, I was able to really get with the Lord. And it was the first time that I allowed myself to just cry. And I did. I just cried and grieved loss and let go of expectations, allowed forgiveness to come, and um, allow me to find connection with the Lord again. And that's when he started um, start speaking to me about Ephesians 4.1 that says, to live worthy of the calling you have received. Because, again, I, I wanted to run from the ministry. I just wanted to be normal. But God's not called us to be normal. We have never been normal. <laughs> we never have been. And he's called us to be pioneers, and he's called us to go into the unknown. And we have kind of resisted that over a large part of our life. But I'm getting to that point where I'm willing to go into the unknown again and be that risk taker that I was, that I left behind for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and to, be, to see myself worthy of that calling, of this calling on our life. That it's for the sake of others. It's not just for me to feel good about myself, but it's for the sake of his kingdom and other people coming to know him and grow in him. And, um, and that I can do this endeavor that he put before us. And it's going to be okay. And it gave me hope again. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so like I said, we came home from Hawaii I was feeling great. I went to my week retreat. After that, I went to RTF. And when I came back from RTF, I had a follow-up with my doctor. And he asked me how I was doing. <clears throat> and I said, great. I told him I didn't have any issues, except for a few little side effects <laughs> that came up because of the medication. And so I asked you know, as Michelle said, is there something else? Is there another medicine that I could switch to? And, and he said, offered, why don't you try to just wean yourself from the medication? Which was great for me, because I was like, I didn't want her to be on it anyway. So we thought, you know, maybe I was kind of over the hump. I could handle life without it. And so I started the process of weaning off the medication. So we were home for the week of 4th of July, <clears throat> and then we went to our, our couple's retreat. Then we came home again for another week, and then we were off to Hilton Head. And as I shared last week, our two weeks in Hilton Head, they were just amazing. I had no anxiety, no depression, no panic attacks. And then it was the last full day we were in Hilton Head. And I woke up. And I was feeling a little off. I told Michelle about it. And we just, you know, finished our last day as we had planned. But the feeling never left. Never left the whole day. And now it's time for bed again. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just be able to sleep this off. Things will be better tomorrow. <clears throat> so I wake up the next morning. And it's all back. The intrusive thoughts, the anxiety starts to spike, and I start to spiral again. I told Michelle, and uh, she could see I was not doing well. She tried to tell me, don't worry about packing, you know, just, just chill, just relax. But I needed something to kind of distract me from my now dark and overwhelming thoughts. So we get the van packed, and <clears throat> I start driving us home. 
We get down the road a ways, a couple hours or so, and my thoughts start attacking me severely, and I start to cry. Michelle sees me suffering, and I, I look at her, and I say through tears that are just streaming down my cheeks, I just out of the blue look at her, and I say, I don't know what I would do if you ever died. You can laugh. It, it was, I know the silliness of that. She cannot understand what's going on. She's asking me, why is this happening? Why is this happening again? And then I realize, oh, this must be for me weaning off the medication. So I turn to her with tears still pouring down my face, and I say, it's probably because I'm weaning off the medication. Now, this is the point in the story where things go from bad to attempted murder. And here's why. Because up to this point, I had not told my wife I was weaning off my meds. Because I thought, it's no big deal, right? I'm doing great. I'll cruise right through this because Tom hates weakness and weakness doesn't touch Tom's life. Would you like to take it from here, my love? (laughs) Yeah, I was. Because Eric's been texting us about some things. And I'm like, now's not a good time. We're on the road. We're on the road. And I'm just like, and um, I'm side texting him too, telling him what's going on. And I am... I'm like, it, it, I mean, I can really laugh about it now, you know, because my husband's just bawling, and I'm like, have no compassion whatsoever. <laughs> I am not nice. <laughs> she was not gentle and tender with my weaknesses. No, I was not. Because <laughs> when he told me that and one fell swoop, it was like the carpet had been ripped out from underneath of me. All the hope I had been having, all the, I'm like, wow, we're really making headway. This is like, okay, this is going to be okay. And all the fears, anxieties that I was experiencing in that first month came crashing back down on me in one minute, and I was just angry as all get out. And, um, and the fact that he didn't even tell me, you know, about it, because then I would have, because I, I just started railing into him. I'm like, if I would have known this, I would have had you doing this and this and this and making sure you were doing this to counteract you not being on that medication. You know, I'm in my ways, you know, just trying to fix it. (laughs) And um, so needless to say, that 13-hour drive back to Indiana was not fun. Okay, so, and, and it really didn't end until we landed in Colorado, because we got home on a Monday, left two days later to go to Colorado, we took the red-eye flight out, and um, he was a mess the whole time, and it wasn't until we got to Colorado that something flipped again, and he was calm again and normal, um, so that's basically that part of the, my side of the story. And it, and, and, it, and it got bad. It even got worse that second time because he couldn't relax. Like, me and the boys at this point, we needed interaction with other people. We've had enough of each other. <laughs> so we got two days, and we are just cramming everything we can in those two days. And we have friends over on Wednesday night in the evening because we needed that friend time. And he's freaking out because I'm not packing. And he's making it known. And I'm just going, got this, I just need you to get your butt in the van at 3 in the morning. That's all I got. That's all I need from you. And But he can't relax because we're all not ready to leave yet. And it's going on 9 at night. And I'm like, I don't care. All we got is time to sleep when we get to Colorado. I really just don't care. I need time with my friends. And, um, and even when we were leaving then that early morning hour at 3 in the morning, he's experiencing OCD kind of things to get out of the house. And I had to go back in to get a few things after he had already done his 
rotation of checks to get out the house. And he's following me around like a puppy dog. And I'm, again, angry at him. I have no compassion. He's begging me just to let him do his thing. And I'm going, get in the car. Just get in that car. I got this. Because <laughs> I'm still mad at him, you know, for not telling me he was coming off that medication. And, um, and so, but once we get to Colorado, it all evens out. Yeah, so, you know, that night we weren't packed, and I'm trying to cajole her to do something, and she's not moving, and I'm like, I'm going to burn the house down. <laughs> Let's just kill everyone, because I'd rather die than watch you sit and talk to another person for another five minutes. <laughs> it was a good run. <laughs> we'll all go to heaven. At least all of you will. So needless to say, I went back on the medicine every day almost immediately. And almost immediately, my anxiety goes away, my depression, the intrusive thoughts go away, no panic attacks. Now, something was revealed to me, something else, as I was on this medication. Because it wasn't until this moment that um, when I, as I was mostly free from the negative emotions and thoughts that surrounded me. It wasn't until this moment of freedom that I realized how severe guilt and self-loathing was in my life. God had revealed that I had developed a really nasty dislike for myself. I have, for many years, many before this one, I have not loved myself very well. I don't know if I've ever really loved myself. But years of self-loathing mixed with people, problems, people misunderstanding me, relational breakdowns, in addition to feeling unappreciated, not being celebrated, all of those things had driven me to this place of crushing guilt and condemnation. And it wasn't until I got on this medicine that God started teaching me self-love. That I, that, it, that I realized how much negative self-talk I did every day. It wasn't until this moment of mental clarity that I realized how every day of my life I woke up I started my day with guilt. I would wake up every day feeling just a little angry, dreading the day, loathing myself and despairing that really anything's ever going to get better for me. And I know that my self-loathing, self-criticism, self-deprecation, I realize that it can't but help spill out onto some of you. Now, if you can take any comfort from what I'm saying, I want you to hear this. Whatever criticisms you may have experienced from me, and I know some of you have, just know that I have laid those criticisms first on myself. Worse. 10 times worse, whatever you've received. So I repent for not loving myself the way God loves me. And I repent for not loving some of you the way you should be loved. So please forgive me. So now I'm back on the medicine and we go to Colorado. And again, like Michelle said, it was wonderful. We leave Colorado, <clears throat> we come home, and my next stop is uh, IHOP in Kansas City at the end of September. And again, everything was going great, right up until a few days before I leave. Again, I wake up one morning, and I can feel it. I'm off. The guilt is starting to creep in, the dread, intrusive thoughts. And I'm not doing well again. So I tell Michelle this time, I tell her I'm not weaning off. 
So we're again wondering, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And then I realize, I'm really smart and I catch on quickly. I realized that I, was, I had stopped taking some of the extra brain-happy supplements as I would run out because I was feeling great. And so as I would run out of something that wasn't a part of my normal supplementation, I was like, eh, I don't need that. Eh, I don't need that. So guess what I did? <laughs> day before I'm leaving, I am, it actually was the day up. <laughs> I'm running out and I'm buying it all back. Plus a couple of extra things. I'm like, that looks good. I don't know what this is. But the guy's smiling on the package, so I guess I, I think this is going to work. So I get all my stuff back, take whatever I can that morning, and I'm off to KC, IOP KC. Now, in the meantime, <clears throat> as I was kind of having this minor meltdown before going, Michelle reaches out to Susan Julian about what's happening. Because again, she's like, what do we do? What do I do? How do I do? How do I help him? You know, she's wanting to fix the problem like I do. So Susan tells her to have me come in the office when I get back and let's do some testing. So I get back from my marvelous uh, week at IHOP. I go in, I meet with Susan for some testing, which is, and the testing is designed to tell me if I really do have brain chemical problems. So I do the testing, and the results come back. And wouldn't you know it, I am low on serotonin. I'm low on dopamine. I'm low in norepinephrine. All the feel-good, do-good chemicals that your brain wants. So Susan gets me on a plan to heal my gut and hopefully reverse some of the missing stuff my brain needs. And that's where I'm at right now. Now, will I be on medicine the rest of my life? I don't want to be. I believe I can be healed. But I am not going to suffer needlessly while I'm waiting for my healing. I believe that the work that I'm doing with my heart, my mind, along with the physical issues that I'm working on, I believe these things will bring me to a place where I don't need medicine anymore. But if I don't get healed, I'm not going to condemn myself or others. So I've got just one, one last lament I want to share because this is also a very recent revelation. And I don't even remember how God showed it to me. I just realized, I've, I've recognized that I've got, I just can't even believe it. But I realized that God has showed me that I have some really severe abandonment issues. Now, if you had even asked me back in September, Tom, do you have abandonment issues? I would have said, nope. I really don't care what people think anyway. But when this came to light, and I started looking back at the last 25 years of my life, started looking at much of the suffering and the pain that I've done, I realize that much of it has come from abandonment. When I look at all of my life, I can see that thread. I remember I started early in life with some aspects of emotional abandonment. Then when I was a teen, I remembered I'd, I always had a best friend. I wanted a best friend. I just needed a guy that I would hang with, and, and he was my best friend, and we would just hang all day, every day, if I could get it. I really, really wanted and needed that. But eventually, that friend would drop me, ghost me, 
even though that wasn't a word back in the 80s. They just walk out of my life. This happened to me several times. I grow up. I start serving Jesus. We start this church. I continue to experience abandonment. In fact, some of the worst abandonments I've ever experienced have been since becoming a Christian, since we started this church. Some of my closest friends have walked out of my life, some temporarily, some permanently. And I realize that this abandonment issue is so pervasive now that it's, I see it. It is so pervasive that I track <clears throat> almost everything as some kind or form of abandonment. And God has shown me how this issue has influenced my heart in such a negative way. In fact, I've felt abandoned by God many times. I don't feel his presence, abandonment. He doesn't help me with people problems, abandonment. I feel like a failure, like I'm not achieving my destiny, abandonment. And I could go through the very long list of how I felt abandonment from people. It is a soul crushing problem that I have not even yet figured out. I don't know how God is going to heal this, but at least I know it's there. So I confess to you guys that this issue of abandonment has distorted and it has damaged my perception of God's love and it has caused me to react cold and withdrawn from the people I love. And I repent. Will you please forgive me? It was this part of the sabbatical um, and that I started asking um, God some hard questions. Um, I was able, I finally had gotten there that I could start asking some really pointed questions. And um, one of the questions that I asked the Lord is, what are you doing in Tom that I can't see or haven't seen yet? And the Lord um, said to me, he said, surrender. I'm taken to a place of full surrender that he has never been, but always wanted. It's creating fear in him because he is not in control and he's going into a place of the unknown. It feels like the abyss of no return for him because trust is at the core of it. Something he has not totally known, what it is to trust someone to follow through in a way that wasn't him in control of it all, but truly trust in the not knowing, but trusting it will be done and done in excellence no matter what the process looked like. Tom's brokenness is allowing him to be found again, but he will not forever be lost. I'm holding his hand and I'm taking him slowly so he can handle it. He does need more time. He's not forever broken. He, he will find me in, in the way his heart desired. Time is my gift to him, and I can gently love him through this process. Because part of it was, at this point, more time was being offered to us for the sabbatical, and we were feeling really guilty about that. It was really hard to say, yes, we need more time. And, um, but the, the, the main ideal in that that struck me when I was going back over my notes is that because we've all been there. We've just been broken. And in that brokenness, we are able to find ourselves again. Because we have allowed that to surface and get out of the way. And we can walk into who God's truly called us to be. And it was the comfort in knowing that's what God was doing with Tom. And still is. Because even in the abandonment issue, like, Somebody will say something to him, and he can feel it. He's aware of it. He goes, oh, my gosh, I felt abandonment in that. Why? Why is that? You know, at least now he knows not to react to that, but he, he's aware of it, and he feels it, and he knows it's there. Like I said, he just doesn't know what to do with it at this point, but I know God will show him what to do with it. Because, um, I mean, I did walk him through some things, you know, 
you know, I'm emotional healing facilitator here and run the ministry. And so we did deal with some of that. But that's not the only thing that takes care of all our problems. There's more to it. And it's just a trust process of just walking it out and allowing God to do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants to do it. Yeah, it was nice. I do remember it early in the sabbatical. I, the issue of abandonment with the Lord was came up quickly, and we were able to pray through some of that. And God spoke some good things to me concerning that. But it was the people part that I had, I was clueless about. Till the end. So as I continue to process what God is doing, and I start to heal from years of false identity and years of the pain of broken relationships. I just ask that you would keep us in your prayers. I know I haven't done a good job of being transparent with my weaknesses, even though there are times they're on full display. I realize that being vulnerable once every seven years, (laughs) it's not enough. It's not enough to heal. It's not enough for relationships to grow. So I want to do better. I want to be a joyful leader that others are glad to be with. I want to be a joyful leader that others want to follow and imitate. So I just want to say thank you for sticking it out with me. I'm grateful. And I love you guys. pray. God, we just, I thank you. I thank you, God, for healing, for hope, for joy, for revelation. I thank you, God, that you're doing a work not just in me and my wife. You're doing a work in all of us. That joy will come forth in this house in ways we've never experienced it. I just declare that over us, God. The joy of the Lord, the joy that comes from your presence. So God, today we just continue to humble ourselves and say yes to you, God. I say yes. I pray you help me. I hope, God, that you pray, that you you hope, help those, God, today who have heard. I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. It covers all of us. I'm sorry that I rejected it in some ways. Thank you for never quitting me. Thank you for never quitting us and the people of this house. We love you, God. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you guys.